If you enjoy the harrowing of Minerva Damson and want to join the Order of Joan in their fight against the monsters stalking the trenches, there are several ways you can support the war effort. Find us on Patreon and enlist, or donate to the Order on Acast. You can also connect with Order Headquarters via Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Links can be found in our bio. The Harrowing of Minerva Damson is a horror podcast and contains descriptions of war that some may find graphic or disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It didn't seem so terrible to Minnie, the Matagos bargain. What's your price? Minnie had asked. The Matago had risen and was coming closer in that slow, winding way that cats do. Let me think. The dimple from your right cheek might do. Or the color from the lock framing your face. Bisclavre glanced between Minnie and the Matago nervously. What is it saying? You can't hear it? Bisclavre shook his head. It doesn't want me to. She frowned. She hadn't known it could do that. One of my dimples or the color from my hair. She crossed her arms and shrugged. That doesn't seem too steep for the safety of the village. Bisclavre stepped in front of her, placing himself firmly between her and the Matago. Night Damson, if you are going to work with this creature, you must carefully consider everything it tells you especially the price it places on any given thing, before you agree to it. You aren't paying for the safety of the village with this bargain. You are paying for the Matago to tell you how to save it. We do not know what it will take to awaken the magic of which it speaks. And while a Matago may not ask for more than any given thing is worth, if the price seems too simple, that means you haven't understood it well enough. Another spate of gunfire sounded along the ridge. The Germans were drawing closer by the minute. Time was not on their side. But dealings with magic were never to be done in ignorance. That's what her training had stressed, anyway. And she should at least try to understand this. (sighs) Okay, what am I missing? The witch before her nodded once. He wasn't oblivious to the factor of time, either. Uh, A dimple from your cheek? Uh... That is something you were born with, that your mother and father gave to you, that you have grown up seeing every day in a mirror. Taking that is taking a small piece of your identity. It may go so far as to take it from every photograph you've ever taken, and every memory your loved ones may have of you. It is erasing something that is part of you, Knight Damson. 
And the hair? Is your hair not a symbol of your beauty and your youth? Robbing it of its color is stealing the perception of that youth. It would not be stealing if it was fairly sold. The Madigo interjected evenly, settling itself beside Beast Clavre. That is the definition of an exchange, is it not? One thing traded for another? It is also a sacrifice, Beast Clavre snapped. Never forget that, Damson. Any price a Madigo asks will mean you will lose something of value to you, whether you realize it now or not. That is the nature of sacrifice. Are you telling me I shouldn't accept a small, cosmetic sacrifice when your village is at stake? Your neighbors and your friends? Their children? No. Beast Clavry shook his head firmly. Of course not. I simply want you to understand how this works. When we part ways, it will just be you and the Matigo. I will not be able to offer you any more insight, and you know next to nothing about this creature. Today it is a cosmetic detail. Tomorrow, it may be something far more dear. Yes, well, fair enough, but they didn't have any more time to waste. She set her sights on the Matigo. The spells you spoke of. Will we be able to mend them and still escape the town? Yes. It did not elaborate. It was time to choose then. Her dimple or her hair. She didn't think about it over long. Simply put, she liked her dimple too much. And she didn't care deeply about how young or old people thought she was. She was sure she'd come out of this war with a few gray hairs anyway. And there was always henna dye if she really wanted to cover them up. Take the lock. The Matigo rose. Very well. It's this way. Minnie's brow wrinkled. That was it? Beast Clavre began following the Matigo as it led them down a dark cobblestone street. Minnie stared after them, confused. She slipped her fingers under her helmet and teased some of her hair free. The strands on the right side of her face were just as brown as they'd always been. When she finally got a bit free from the left, though, the strands shone silver white under the moonlight. She stared at them. There had been no snaking shadows here, no prickle of magic or rise of wind that might hint at the Matigo's power. Between one blink and the next, and with absolutely no fanfare, the color had simply left her hair. Somehow, that was more unsettling than nearly anything she had encountered before. The Matigo led them through a maze of streets and narrow alleys, the bulk of the deserted buildings pressing in toward them. The oppression of the silence beneath the rising orchestral swell of warfare, winding many tighter and tighter with every step. Beast Glavre limped along steadily beside her, his expression hard. She had the sudden impulse to reach out and grab his hand, to remind him that she was right there with him, feeling the same desperation of the situation. To remind herself, too, that she had him for backup, that he was prepared to do whatever needed to be done to save the village and escape. Or maybe it was simply to feel the comfort of another human being beside her as they moved through this waking nightmare that was guaranteed to only get worse. Whatever the reason, she didn't do it. Her hands remained where they were, one tightly gripping a strap of her haversack, the other resting on her dagger's handle. They only walked a little over five minutes before they stopped. 
The Matigo had been jauntily trotting down one street lined with houses sporting flowering window boxes when it abruptly halted in front of one door. Minnie drew up short and swept an appraising eye over the place. What is this? This looks like somebody's house. She had expected, well, something different. A broken-down, abandoned hut along the medieval wall's edge, perhaps, or a long-forgotten altar in a hidden alcove. Not this. It looked perfectly normal. Not some place where old magics lay sleeping. Yes. Bisclavery sounded just as confused. It's Monsieur Dubois. He's a cobbler. A very talented witch ran a brewery out of this house many long lifetimes ago. Her coven would meet here and practice in a time when these mountains wept the blood of innocence, cut down by the sword. They did a number of great things here, though few knew about their deeds even then, and anyone who carried the memory of them is long dead. Put to the stake, as they so often are. Our coven is a transplant, Bisclavre admitted. Sanctuaire La Grotte was without witches for nearly 200 years before our coven was established in 1861. Our foundress was invited here to aid the town's aging midwives. That is how we began, but we know little of what the original coven achieved in their tenure here. Any records were destroyed or simply lost to time. The basement of this home is older than these town walls by a hundred years. The magic here... It's of a kind I have not tasted often, and not for an age. Though it's true this war is producing a new and notable flavor of magic. Great secrets had they, these sorceresses. And their magic sleeps still, broken, yet unfaded by the march of time. Masters they were, indeed. That was all well and good, but a fresh round of gunfire suddenly split the night air answered by shots from above the town. Minnie and Bisclavre whirled to see muzzle flashes issuing from the castle ruins on the slopes. We're out of time. Bisclavre reached into his pocket and drew out a stick of chalk. With swift strokes, he wrote a word Minnie didn't recognize above the lock of the door, then shoved the stick into the lock and twisted. The stick broke, but the lock clinked back. He shoved the door open and waved Minnie and the Matigo through, into the darkness inside. The reports of gunfire became muffled as Bisclavre shut the door behind them, the lantern swinging in his hand and making the shadows of furniture careen wildly across the walls. How long will this take? Not Not long. long. Minutes, Minutes, perhaps. If If you hurry. Bisclavre twitched back the curtains just as an explosion sounded. It rattled the window and shuddered through the ground. The first mortar had fallen on the village. Bisclavre swore, and with a stump of his chalk, began sketching words along the door frame. Just in case, he said. I'll work on this here, unless you need me. No. The Matigo wove in and out between the shadows, disappearing entirely whenever it crossed from light to darkness. Minerva should be enough. Minnie nodded. How do we get into the basement? Here. Here. Its golden eyes appeared, luminous, from the shadows beneath the stairs. Take the lantern. I won't need it. Minnie grabbed the lantern and went to the space underneath the stairs. There was a trap door in the floor, used often enough by the looks of it. She wrenched it open. 
The Matigo sprang down the steps, and she descended after it. The basement had all manner of things inside, from old furniture to a small section stacked with boxes and barrels of produce that needed to be kept cool and dry. Nowhere did Minnie see anything that looked the slightest bit arcane. The Matigo pawed at a section of the board-lined walls. Break these panels. Above them, the house rattled, and another tremor passed through Minnie's feet. She shoved aside an old chest. Swearing under her breath, she searched for something to break the aging wooden panels or wrench them back and settled on an iron bar from a broken bed frame. It took several strikes, but finally she made enough of a dent in the sturdy old wood to insert one end of the bar under the lip of a panel and pull. With a groan and splintering sound, it broke away from the wall. A draft of stale air burst across Minnie's face. She pulled another panel free before tossing the bar aside. The gap in the wall was just big enough for her to slip through. Thrusting the lantern ahead of her revealed a short passage lined with stone. She had to stoop to move through it, but luckily it wasn't very long. After six paces, it opened up into another cellar space, one that smelled like old herbs, dust, and something sour. She straightened and turned in a circle, trying to absorb everything as quickly as possible. Everything was covered in a fine layer of dust, but it had been left in a tidy state. Shelves lined three walls, supporting small wooden boxes, jars, and dried flowers. She spied a length of hair braided with ribbons and briars. A small doll made of knotted rags sagged against a basket of cloth strips. Then her eyes fell upon something truly strange. It sat beneath the opposite wall's lowest shelf, tucked in a corner, a fired clay cone about three feet tall. But when she looked closer, she noticed it was much more than that. Molded into its sides was a stylized depiction of the village. Around its bottom rose a ridge, the city's walls, then houses, a market square, and halfway up, the cathedral, its gargoyles peering along its walls and its cemetery beside it. Above the cathedral's steepled top were more buildings, one she didn't recognize because they no longer dotted the slopes of the mountain, replaced by trees centuries ago. At the very top of the cone sat the castle. All along the cone's curve, spiraling up from the bottom to the top, was a shallow divot, perhaps a road. It ended, or began, at the castle's gate, which itself was an opening. Place that here. Minnie turned. The Matigo was sitting in the center of the cellar, watching her. And do be careful with it. She set down the lantern and picked up the cone. It was heavy. <sighs> what is this? She set it down carefully next to the Matigo. Now that she was standing over it, she could see that the top of the castle was hollowed out like a chalice. At its bottom was a hole that drained from the castle's gate into the spiral. A very powerful magical artifact, artfully made. Now, get that box over there, the one with a hand carved upon its lid. Is this all we need to mend the wards? Not quite. Despairing of ever getting a straight answer from the Matigo, Minnie searched for the box. The house above them shook again, and a little dust rained down from the ceiling. What else, then? She found the box and grabbed it, bringing it closer to the lantern. How do we make the spell work? She opened the box and froze. There was a dagger inside. 
There was nothing fancy about it at first glance. It was made of iron with a handle bound in black leather. Yet looking upon it sent a bolt of cold into her stomach. Blood, Minerva. It's always blood. Blood and sacrifice. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger. Feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Minnie didn't bother with the normal protestations. It wasn't like she had much of a choice, and the battle for the village had begun above them already. Stealing herself, she began rolling up her sleeve. How much? Enough to fill the cup. Fortunately for you, the greater sacrifice needed to carve these spells from the ether into stone has long since been given. You need only rouse it now. If it had been called upon a few hundred years ago, it would have required half as much blood mixed with wine or beer. But now only blood will do. An artery will bleed too fast and a shallow cut too slow. I would suggest a vein. Minnie paused, gauging the depth of the cup. It was relatively deep, a liter at least. Not much if you were to fill it up with water, 
but more significant when it came to blood. She deftly unbuttoned her coat and reached inside, into one of her larger inner pockets where she kept fresh dressings. And what will that do? It will heal the broken links of the spell and call it to its purpose. She tucked the bandages beneath her cuff sleeve where it was bunched up around her elbow. Could you be more specific? But that would ruin the surprise. Worry not, dear girl. You'll see soon enough. Don't call me that. Minnie gripped the dagger, her fingers trembling slightly, and studied her arm, searching for a suitable vein. I'm not a little girl, and I'm sure I'm not dear to the likes of you. Oh, but you have it all wrong. Anyone who feeds me is dear to me. More dust shook itself from the ceiling above, and Minnie swore under her breath. She tightened her hand into a fist. A blue vein obligingly throbbed to the surface. Taking a deep breath, she positioned the crook of her arm over the cup and carefully nicked the vein. Dark blood instantly welled to the surface and began oozing across her skin. The first drops, black in the low light, plunked into the receiving cup. Minnie grit her teeth and looked away. She could feel the Madigo's eyes upon her, but she couldn't make herself meet them. It isn't always blood. For spells, I mean. The Madigo slipped closer. She felt its fur ghost across her leg and shivered, because it only vaguely felt like fur. Trouble was, she couldn't say exactly what it did feel like. The deepest magic is... The world was made with blood and sacrifice, didn't you know? All things born are made of this, from the universe to every creature in it, and so all great magics are begun this way. Why do you think so many things long slumbering now open their eyes and stir? This war is rank with blood and sacrifice. It waters the earth and perfumes the air. It's irresistible to all creatures of myth. It reminds us of our genesis, and we would not miss the chance to witness the birth of new things. Minnie grimaced. Her blood was running down her arm, unpleasant and hot. It made her feel nauseous and flighty as a rabbit. She tried her best not to focus on it. Nothing can be born of this war but monsters. Her voice sounded thready. Monsters? Yes, I suppose that is how you would see it, you humans. But every monster serves a purpose, Minerva. Maybe not to humans. But then, humans are not the crux around which creation turns. There was a time when your species knew this well. Maybe it's time for you to learn it again. Cautiously, she peered at the cup, afraid to see how much left there was to go. She hoped it was almost full, not only because the mortars raining down from above felt like they were getting closer and more frequent, but also because she was already feeling faint. The pool of blood was nearing the top, thank God. Curiously, it had yet to begin running out of the castle gates. Was it blocked somehow? But then her blood touched the lower edge of the castle's crenellations, and a red ribbon began to slowly snake its way from the gate into the spiraling street. Minnie raised her arm and began clumsily plucking the bandages from under her cuff. The dressing instantly began absorbing her blood, and she pressed down hard on the wound. Come now, and see what great magics your blood has nourished and freed. 
The matigo disappeared into the passage as she struggled to wrap the bandages firmly around her arm with only one hand and her teeth to aid her. Somehow, she managed to bind it well enough, at least until Bisclavre could help her. Another blast rocked the house as she staggered up the stairs, panting a little. Outside, the church bells were ringing again in long, low peals. Bisclavre was pacing like a caged animal, and when she emerged, he surged toward her, his eyes a little wild. Did it work? He drew up short, gaze falling on her crudely bandaged arm. I don't know, she said as he immediately set about fixing the dressing. Soon. The matigo hopped up into the window and looked out. Bisclavre finished dressing the wound with a tight knot that made Minnie grunt. The Germans have breached the gate. Soon isn't soon enough. Unfazed, the matigo jumped back down. Give Give her some socks from your pack, boy, and and slip them over her shoes. She will need them imminently. Bisclavre rounded on the matigo, the wild look in his eye sharpening, his lips drawing back from his teeth. The matigo's golden eyes slid up to meet his, and its form began to ripple, its edges blurring and expanding. The witch took a step back, his snarled mouth closing and pressing into a thin, compact line. Fine. Bisclavre bit out, and shrugged the pack from his back. Not caring to interrogate the Madigo about what had just happened or why exactly she needed Bisclavre's socks, Minnie peered out the window, pressing her body flush against the shelter of the wall and keeping her head out of direct line of sight. She could hear shouts somewhere down the street, but there were no soldiers in view from her limited vantage point. The rummaging ceased, replaced by the sound of buckles being re-engaged. Gray woolen socks in hand, Bisclavre knelt down and stretched them over Minnie's boots. She watched the window wordlessly, gripping the crook of her cut arm and holding it elevated above her heart for as long as possible. The time is ripe and our chance has come. The first spell quickens. Hurry! Bisclavre straightened, his expression hard as he examined Minnie. She knew what he was thinking. She was wondering it herself. She hadn't lost a vital amount of blood, but it was enough to notice. In a situation like this, any small thing, any dulling of her edge, might spell disaster. It didn't matter, in the end. They both knew they were heading out that door to meet whatever was waiting for them. Minnie's hands automatically did their habitual rapid check. Quiver, bow, dagger, haversack straps tight and secure. Bisclavre had reclaimed the lantern, and he stood at the door, ready. Stay on my right. She met Bisclavre's eyes solemnly. I'm deaf on my left. Neither of us will get very far if you give me a direction I can't hear and we get separated. Or worse. Bisclavre immediately placed himself on her right, reaching across her to grip the doorknob. With one deep breath and a decisive nod to each other, he pushed the door open and they bolted out. The street ahead was empty, but no sooner had they left the house that they heard shouts and footsteps down the street behind them. A shot cracked through the air, but it was wide. The matigo dashed ahead of them, its four legs carrying it across the cobblestones much faster than either of them could manage. Minnie's breathing came much too fast, her heart pounding painfully in her head, and despite a valiant effort at overcoming it, 
Beast Clavray's old injury was slowing him down, making his gait loping and lopsided. Another shot sounded, and Minnie heard the bullet whiz above her head. The sound of feet beating cobblestones grew louder, and in a sickening wave, it dawned on Minnie that they wouldn't be able to outrun them. Just as she realized this, and tried to fight off dual waves of panic and anemic fatigue, a bevy of shouts flew up into the air behind them, followed by the sounds of bodies striking the ground. She chanced to look over her shoulder, her breath ragged and heavy. Behind them, a fire team of German soldiers had fallen in a pile in the center of the lane and were struggling to stand. Every time they tried to wobble upright, their feet would slip from beneath them as if the street was slicked with oil. Only, of course, it wasn't. If enemies our mighty walls should meet, the land itself will know them as a foe. If then the stranger steps upon our streets, may cobblestones reject their very souls, and wickedness shall force them to their knees, to be cut down just like the swine they be. Minnie shivered at the Madigo's recitation of the words forged into form by those long-dead medieval witches of Sanctuaire à la Grotte. They rounded a corner, and Minnie's pounding heart finally forced her to stop to catch her breath. Beast Clavray stood beside her, himself panting, alert and watchful. Similar thwarted shouts were rising all over the walled parts of the village, which was good news, naturally, but they couldn't throw caution to the wind entirely. They could still step into a street and trip right into a group of soldiers. The Germans might not be able to chase them, but they could still grab them or shoot them from wherever they were stuck. Minnie drank from her canteen, hoping the extra water would soothe the throbbing in her skull. Where are we going next? The cave. Cave? What cave? This city was founded because of a very special cave. Such a treasure it was that the cathedral was built over its mouth. Minnie could have used another minute or two, but of course they couldn't wait. She waved for Beast Clavray to lead the way, and he obliged, slinking into a nearby alleyway to take them through the swiftest shortcuts. I've never heard those caves called anything but a curse, Beast Clavray said in a low voice. The cathedral's built over it to seal it. Sacred, cursed, it's all a matter of perspective. Wouldn't you agree, Beast Clavray? Beast Clavray shot the Madigo a mutinous look, but said nothing. He paused at the intersection of an alley and a street, checked to see the way was clear, and continued his prowl forward. Either way, it matters not. It is the only way out of the city that isn't guaranteed to make you two little more than mildly interesting corpses. Fantastic. Ahead of her, Beast Clavray stopped. They were close to the cathedral now. Minnie could see the steeple looming above the rooftops only a block or two away. The bells had stopped tolling again. On the slopes beyond the cathedral, dust and smoke rose from a new crater in the castle ruin, and a flare lit the wreckage with its unnaturally bright, tilting light. In the streets around them, the confused and frustrated shouts of German soldiers continued. Other than that, it was eerily quiet. No gunfire. No shellings. Soldiers ahead. Beast Clavray shuddered the lantern light and motioned for her to stick close. They darted out of cover and across the street. 
Minnie only caught a glimpse of a group of young men sitting on the ground, sullen until they caught sight of the duo. A few shots were made then, none accurate in the slightest. The bullets ricocheted off walls or punched through windows. Minnie, Beast Claret, and the Matigo had long since disappeared into the safety of the next long, narrow alleyway. At its end, the square before the cathedral opened up before them. More soldiers had made it here before the first ward had taken effect, a small platoon by the looks of it. They'd been tasked with securing the area before proceeding to gain entry, but much like the group they'd just left behind, most were now sitting or laying on the street. At least five had injured themselves when they'd slipped. A couple had taken off their boots and were trying to stand again, to no success. An operator was conveying a message from his wireless telegraph to a nearby officer, who was nodding along, his brow bent in concentration. Bisclavre grimaced. Even if we could wade through all those men, the doors will be reinforced and the windows shuttered. Damn! Is there anything you can do? He growled and raked a hand through his hair. No, no, nothing that wouldn't require more time or components than we have. Worry not. The second spell is ripening. Will it do anything about the doors? The Matigo yawned. No, but I know another way into the cave. Would you have the decency to just tell us? Beast Clavery tilted his head, listening hard and Minnie just caught a new sound drift up from the direction of the medieval wall's gate. It was a deep, coughing rumble, growing louder, a springy sound joining it. Minnie stiffened. It's some kind of vehicle. Heavy by the sounds of it, Bisclavre agreed. Every helmeted head in the square turned toward the main road, and a great cheer erupted from the gathering. A truck turned into the square, Thick steel plates riveted onto its chassis. On its flat bed was mounted an artillery gun. The soldiers crawled, rolled, and shuffled out of its way as it slowly edged into the middle of the square. When it stopped, the men nearest to it hoisted themselves up onto its bed, grinning, and set their rifles across their knees. Oh God. Sure, no enemy could walk into Sanctuaire à la Grotte while the first spell was active perhaps not even ride their horses inside the medieval walls, either. But there was nothing to stop them from driving in. Well, Well, they they didn't didn't have have those those back then. The Madigo flicked its tail thoughtfully. Little Little good good it will will do do them, though. The second spell is free. A strange, crackling, grinding sound threaded its way between the laughter and merriment of the soldiers in the square. They didn't react at first and Minnie could barely hear it at all. Bisclavre's head tilted up, his eyes roaming the square under furrowed brows. He gasped and stumbled back. What? But Minnie spied what he'd seen before she could ask any further. Along the cathedral walls above the platoon's heads, cracks were forming in the gargoyles growing along where their bodies adjoined the cathedral stone and forming across each joint of their clawed feet, legs, and wings. One of the soldiers noticed and pointed with a shout. The others turned and craned their necks, squinting up at the cathedral. A few pulled flashlights free and aimed them at the walls. Nothing could have prepared many for exactly what came next. The gargoyles did not come to life the way she thought they might. 
If she had been asked, she might have said the stone would flake away from their bodies, revealing the skin of some beast long frozen by magic. If not that, she would have guessed by some property of second-degree alchemy the stone would become pliable, like clay, and the creatures would swoop down from their perches that way. It was neither. Instead, with a cacophony of cracks and snaps, the joints of the gargoyles broke, and they ripped themselves away from their moorings. Then they stretched, long, flexible black sinews connecting their bodies together where their joints had been. They rose together like horrible, loose-limbed marionettes, their stone heads swiveling to look down at the men assembled in the square. With a scream, one soldier began firing, followed by another. The bullets bounced off their stone hides uselessly. The gargoyles descended in a wave, their heavy bodies breaking the flagstones where they landed. With a single sweep of its club-like arm, one gargoyle sent three men flying. They were dead when they landed, crushed by the force. Another raked its stone talons across a man's back, opening it wide and slinging gore everywhere. Two smashed into the armored truck, pummeling it easily beneath their weight. The artillery gun was wrenched free of the bed a moment later and hurled across the square, punching a hole through a business front. A handful of smaller gargoyles scuttled across the square, almost faster than the eye could track. Their limbs whistled through the air like flails, cracking skulls and lopping arms and legs from bodies with terrifying speed. It was madness. Carnage. The Germans couldn't run, and they sure as hell couldn't fight the onslaught of these preternatural constructs. Minnie had never seen or heard of anything like it. Her body was seized by the impulse to run as fast and as hard and as far as she could away from the massacre and monsters in the square. She got as far as turning before she felt the sharp pinpricks of the Madigo's claws poke through her pant leg to prick her shins. From in the stone where honored dead are lain, we call upon avenging angels' hands to fall upon invaders not yet slain and punish their intrusion on our land. O angels, you may once again know sleep when safe within our walls we may yet keep. This way, Minerva, before the third spell breaks. The Madigo darted back down the alley, skirting the chaos of the square. Minnie followed almost blindly. Bile was burning her throat, and she kept looking over her shoulder every other step. It wasn't until the hard slap of the street beneath her feet turned into the soft squelch of wet grass that Minnie realized they were in the cemetery again, weaving through headstones and mausoleums. They passed under the twisting black arms of yews before the Madigo vaulted up onto the cemetery's low stone wall and waited as Bisclavre and Minnie pulled themselves over. There is an old well ahead. That is where we shall. Minnie was almost over. Her arm was sore and bothering her, slowing her down, when she was wrenched backwards and hit the grasp of the yews hard. Reflex was the only thing that saved her from being instantly flattened. She rolled as a solid granite club scored the earth where she'd once lain. She rolled again and scrambled to her feet, her hands pulling an arrow free before she realized her bow was unstrung and strapped to her back. The gargoyle that had grabbed her straightened, towering over her. Its weathered stone face was carved with features somewhere between a dragon and a dog, and its chest and legs were streaked with blood. 
the unnaturally lengthened digits of its claws flexed as it considered her. Just another stranger to Sanctuaire à la Grotte, as far as the magic animating it could tell. Bisclavre was shouting, trying to draw its attention, but it paid him no mind. It swiped at Minnie again, and she dodged. It was large and lumbering, unlike the smaller gargoyles. When its other arm mirrored the motion, Minnie leapt aside, aimed for the elbow joint, and slashed down with the arrowhead. The magic steel met the shifting black sinews in an explosion of sparks. Minnie threw her weight behind it with a battle scream, and the brief resistance gave way as the cutting edge sliced through. The arm fell from the gargoyle into the grass in a heavy tumble. There was no time to celebrate. The other arm was already hurtling toward her again, and she only just avoided being clipped by it. The gargoyle's attacks came faster after that. She had, after all, lightened its load by several hundred pounds. Were gargoyles like ghouls, which had to be completely dismembered to destroy them? Or did these have a weak link somewhere, a focus she could exploit? Either way, she doubted she'd ever find out. Her heart was beating too fast, her breaths too shallow and ragged, and she could feel herself meeting her limits. Allow me, came the Madigo's voice, and she felt the touch of its fur again. Last time, it had simply brushed against her leg. This time, though, it wrapped around it and expanded. Before she could even react, the sensation shot up her body, and a shadow closed around her face, choking her scream. It felt like she was covered in a million writhing, stinging insects. She couldn't see or hear anything, anything at all. She had been swallowed completely by its darkness, but she could feel herself moving in stiff, jerky motions. Her mouth opened of its own volition, and something primal and scorching seared up it, a roar she couldn't hear but felt rattling through her bones. Then she was running, and jumping, and running again. Each stride felt less clumsy and more powerful, until she thought her femurs might be ripped from their sockets. Stop! she cried voicelessly. I can't! Be silent! The Madigo's voice ricocheted around her brain, making her dizzy. Her legs abruptly stopped. The moment of reprieve was brief. Her arms were hoisted above her head and brought down. Her fists met a hard surface that should have broken all the bones in her hands, but splintered and buckled beneath them instead. As her arms were raised again, she cried out, and the horrible crawling swarmed down her throat. Another blow, and whatever the Matigo had been hammering broke. Be clever, she felt herself say, the name raking up her throat. Inside, now! And then the darkness was ripped away from her, and she swayed on her feet. The Madigo's claws dug into her skin where it sat perched on her shoulder. Minnie gasped and retched, wanting nothing more than to rip the Madigo from her shoulder and hurl it as far away from her as she could. That would mean touching it again, though. And anyway, the danger was not yet past. She was standing at the edge of a well in the center of a cleared park she saw. Bisclavre was already descending the rungs laid into its round walls, his progress hampered by his hold on the lantern. Across the field was the cemetery wall, and the gargoyle had just hoisted itself over and was barreling toward them. Minnie's knees felt watery as she scrambled over the well's lip and started down after Bisclavre. Then the Madigo spoke again. The very mountain now will join the fight, 
and bury the invaders under stone, till quiet once again may rule the night, fulfilling then our price of blood and bone. And when they see their dead in light of day, no enemy again will march this way. A deep rumbling shook through the earth, vibrating through her feet. Mortars, many thought, as she clung to the rungs of the well, until the quake drew on too long and grew too violent. Under the moonlight, the mountainside beyond the walls shifted, then sheared away in a wave of rocks and trees. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The harrowing of Minerva Damson and its related stories are written, narrated, and produced by Jessica Linkhart and features additional voice work by Miranda Lewis, Claire Miller, and Jamie Sykes. Art assets done in collaboration with Mitch Lewis. Thank you for listening. Our tale will continue next week. <laughs>